0: good afternoon welcome to the firm holdings fourth quarter and fiscal year 2023 earnings call following the speaker's remarks we will open the lines for your questions as a reminder this conference call is being recorded and a replay of the call will be available on our investor relations website for a reasonable period of time after the call i'd now like to turn the call over to zane keller director of investor relations thank you you may begin
1: thank you operator Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone listening that today's call may contain forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are subject to numerous risks and uncertainties, including those set forth in our filings with the SEC, which which are available on our Investor Relations website. Actual results may differ materially from any forward-looking statements that we make today. These forward-looking statements speak only as of today, and the company does not assume any obligation or intent to update them except as required by law. In addition, today's call may include non-GAAP financial measures. These measures should be considered as a supplement to and not a substitute for GAAP financial measures. For historical non-GAAP financial measures, reconciliations to the most directly comparable GAAP measures can be found in our earnings supplement slide deck, which is available on our Investor Relations website. Hosting today's call with me are Max Ledchen, the firm's founder and chief executive officer, and Michael Linford, the firm's chief financial officer. In line with our practice in prior quarters, we will begin with brief opening remarks from Max before proceeding immediately into Q&A. On that note, I will turn the call over to Max to begin. Max,
2: thank you, Zane. Thanks everyone for joining, and I hope you've had a chance to read our quarterly letter, as it includes lots of great. News. I mentioned in the letter we're very proud of the team's accomplishments this quarter, closing out the fiscal year on a high note. In our fiscal Q4, we exceeded our outlook across all key metrics, were profitable on an adjusted operating income basis, improved our already great credit metrics while accelerating growth, and launched with some amazing brands on the platform. Some of these brands are so cool, we can't even say their names. You just have to go shopping to find them. Dear to my product developing heart, we're finally able to brag about the Affirm Card's progress. We're energized by the momentum we're seeing and are investing significant energy into making the card the top of wallet choice for our consumers. We also expect to deliver annual profitability on an adjusted operating income basis going forward. And our disciplined performance of the last several quarters has earned us the right to return to a more aggressive pace of network growth while maintaining discipline. I tried hard to make my letter a breezy read this quarter, so I hope you have a chance to peruse it if you haven't yet. For a deeper dive into our numbers, please have a look at the one from Michael. He's a good man and thorough. But in case you would like even more investor information about firm, We're pleased to announce that we will be holding an investor forum on November 14th in New York. At the event, you will hear from several of our management team members, and we will provide an update on our commercial and product initiatives, as well as our financial framework. Please look for additional information, including registration details, on our investor relations website as we get closer to the event. Back to you, Zane. Thank you,
1: Max. Uh, With that, we will now take your questions. Operator, please open the line for our first question.
0: Thank you. And again, at this time, we will be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. And for participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. Our first question comes from the line of Tim Chiodo with Credit Suisse. Please proceed with your question.
3: Great. Thank you for the introduction there. and looking forward to the investor day. Max, I believe you were just saying around around the, the right to reaccelerate investment. I just want to make sure I have this right, though, in terms of what's implied for the guide for the upcoming year. If we take the GMV guide and the RLTC as a percentage of GMV and think about the 2% operating margin, it seems to imply that there's only sort of a low single digit uh, growth in your OpEx base for this year. One, is is that investment under the hood with some savings elsewhere and maybe just provide a little added context around that. It seems to imply not a whole lot of of expense growth.
2: That is accurate. Um, some sort of a lean and mean code writing machine joke comes to mind, but I'm not capable of those. But we have been more productive than perhaps ever in our history over the last six, six months or so. Certainly last three, we've really just built a lot of great stuff and we have no intention of slowing down, looking for
4: efficiencies. Okay, thank you for the confirmation. (laughs) Appreciate it. You you are correct.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Ramsey uh, Ellis with Barclays. Please proceed with your question.
5: Hi, thanks for taking my question this evening. You guys called out uh, growing merchants uh, at a a good year-over-year clip and also some new partner signings and expansions. Can you give us your updated thought on the growth algorithm algorithm of the business in terms of what you're expecting from existing customers versus new logos? And maybe there's a new category, which is sort of product, now that Affirm card seems to be inflecting. How should we think about those three forces kind of what are what's more important to drive growth going forward?
2: It's a great question. Thank you, as always. Um, so as should be already apparent in some of the, the writing we did, the highest efficiency way for us to grow kind of what constitutes existing business is growth through and with our platform partners. And that's where we really can invest the way we know how to do our best work. Building products, building features, figuring out how to partner holistically across very, very large surface areas, you know, Shopify, Walmart, et cetera. That that's where kind of high, high leverage, you know, for every line of code you get some number of billions of dollars or something like that. That's the growth vector for the existing business. You saw the sort of a near vertical line we're seeing in the signups with a card, but it's coming from a tiny base. And so at some point, it's going to be, at this point, I can say that with some amount of confidence, a massive business for us, and we have all the confidence and all the investment to back that confidence up. But in the very immediate future, majority of the growth of g will certainly come from existing partnerships with platforms. We're still quite actively signing up new merchants. We're still figuring out ways of expanding programs uh, with those merchants for, but differently expanding our share of cart with them. But that's roughly the order where uh, you know where, where we concentrate our energy. So for the avoidance of doubt, my time is largely spent figuring out what next five moves for the card looks like. I think the core business is a fairly well-oiled machine. We've got some extraordinary partners. We've done well for them. They're quite happy with how we're doing together, and we'll continue doing lots of great work there, too.
5: Okay. A really quick follow-up from me. Are you worried or what do you expect from this student loan repayment restarting uh, coming up here? There's been a little bit of media about it. I'm just curious what your view is in terms of how that would impact the, you know, the credit environment in in the U.S.
2: Uh, So we've included that in our forecast. So we we don't expect it to be something that just happens in a different galaxy. We expect it to be a modest headwind for us, or at least we're prepared for that, and it's priced in, if you will, to our, our numbers. Um, I have to give a little bit of credit where it's due. I read Mizuho, uh, Dan Dolef's colleagues, uh, wrote a nice piece describing what they think uh, will happen to BNPL industry vis-à-vis the student loan repayment restarts. And uh, I won't comment on exact numbers, but I have to say directionally we're in agreement with uh, what they found in in their research. So I think it's a good place to look for uh, for thoughts on that. But, you know, we, we don't think it's nothing. We don't think it's very significant either.
4: Got it. Thanks so much.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Raina uh, Kumar with UBS. Please proceed with your question.
6: Hi. Good evening. Uh, Thanks for taking my question and good quarter. Um, Just want to ask you about your loan delinquency rates. It came in better than expected in the fourth quarter. You saw sequential decline, 3Q versus 4Q. Um, What makes you think that there will be an increase in the first half of 24?
2: Seasonality. We we know our borrowers well. We know when they have improvements to their personal cash flow and we know when they struggle a little bit and we are trying to be in front of that. But uh it's you know credit is always job number one. We're in control of what's happened and what will happen.
6: Got it. Okay. And then um I just want to ask you about the C S T V and Um, The credit reporting bureaus, they, of course, continue to push for greater reporting of purchases financed through um, BNPL, and you've been a proponent of greater reporting transparency. But this could also be at odds with your strategy of increasing the frequency and usage of your financing solutions. Do you think greater credit reporting will drive down consumer usage of BNPL? Or um, if you can just talk about, you know, your, your thoughts on that. Thank you.
2: It's a good question. Um, obviously, we're strongly engaged with CFPB. We consider them to be our regulator uh, because we are a financial services company of scale. And uh, I happen to, and my team as well, happens to believe that credit reporting is a really important piece of the puzzle. We want to make sure that consumers benefit, those that pay us back on time anyway, from their timely repayment in their credit reporting. Part of the work we have done and will do with the bureaus and with our competitors and peers in the industry is actually making sure that the way this is reported is reflective of the factual usage of the product, of scores, but also does not unduly punish or reward consumers through the idiosyncratic sort of outcomes of the scores. But part of why BNPL World does not like to report to the bureaus is because the original scoring systems used by the bureaus, their own or Fair Isaac ones, don't really correctly account for what these loans look like, just the sheer multitude of them. And so part of the work we're doing with the industry and the bureaus is to make sure that it works the right way for, for the end customer.
6: Very helpful. Thank you.
4: Our next question comes from the
0: line of Dan Dolev with Mizuho, beautiful to see with your question.
7: Hey, guys. Uh, hey, Max. Uh, thanks. Appreciate it. Amazing results here. Um, I can't get more excited about uh, the Affirm cards, Debit Plus. Uh, my only question is, can you maybe give us the main building blocks for the 2024 guide? So, you know, what are you um, incorporating in terms of Debit Plus? You know, what should we know? Like, can you maybe give us, like, a little path of, like, a bridge of how we can think about 2024 with all the puts and takes. Again, uh, great results. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll grab that one, and, and Max, feel free to add on anything. I think for the, the full year, um, we've we put out what we think is the floor will exceed $24 billion in GMV, and that really reflects um, <coughs> some uncertainty around where the ceiling is, driven in part by things like the affirm card. The affirm card is very early. Um, the charts that we have in our letter showed that kind of steep inflection and early trajectory, which is really exciting, but we're, we're not sure where and, and when we get to anything that approximates a, a peak there. Um, with respect to the margin structure in the business, we would expect to see some, uh, obviously, the, the, the full-year impact of a higher-rate environment. If you remember, of course, the last fiscal year is as rates were constantly rising and we're at or near the, the higher end of that rate cycle and would expect that to play out with respect to some headwinds um, in the cost side. Um, And to offset that, of course, we have some of our consumer pricing initiatives, which will begin to to bear real fruit. And all that um, is is kind of in the top-line part of the business, and then with respect to operating expenses, we we do expect the full-year benefit of the restructuring actions that we took earlier uh, this year, enabling us to deliver what we think will be a a profitable uh, year on an adjusted operating income basis. Got it. And can I squeeze one more in? Uh, Shopify is pretty bulled up on the in-store experience. Are you seeing any of that in, in the new
2: initiatives? It's there. It's certainly not fully rolled out yet, but it's definitely something that Shopify is very committed to and as a good partner, with, so are we. So we have lots of work to do there. But like I said many times before, in-store is the next frontier. I think... Frequency is the single most important thing we can focus on in terms of just building out the network. And most people still shop in stores at least as much as online or more more like four times more. And so being offline is really important. That, that was a great opportunity. We're scaling that up with them. Yeah,
4: we agree. Uh, great results. Thanks again. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of James Fawcett with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed with your question.
8: Great. Thank you very much. I wanted to uh, just ask a a follow-up question on um, acceptance and and merchants. It seems like in their current environment with interest rates now, you know, quite a bit higher than they were just even a year ago, um, that it would be a good opportunity for merchants to um, find out places where they could use 0% promotions and in conjunction with the firm. Um, to help drive volumes but without having to resort to uh, product discounting, et cetera. So I'm just wondering kind of what your engagement is like with merchants and, and what is the opportunity to, to further drive a firm acceptance and, and use um, through some of those promotional activities?
2: That's certainly the right estimation. There are plenty of merchants who are focused on driving their top line. I mean, I think this- This tends to come up in our conversations on and off, but uh, basically, if you're a fully integrated merchant with a healthy gross margin, then the best way, in my biased opinion, to protect your price and perception of your prices with consumers is to use a firm 0% deals or fixed APR deals. We, at this point, support much more than just 0%, there's lots and lots of different promotional offerings that we've constructed for our various partners, so we see great interest in that. There's plenty of merchants who are resellers, and they're fairly far down the supply chain. They do not have the margin to support zeros, and it's difficult for them. Sometimes we're able to bring in the manufacturers of the original equipment or the original items, and they step in and create 0% deals, and we have a healthy number of those and have a lot of plans to expand it. But generally speaking, you're exactly right. There's plenty of uh, worry by merchants to keep moving the merchandise, they need to discount discounting kills price integrity, and we're here to help.
8: Thank you. and then on RLTC, it seems like it was great to see that margin particularly on debit plus and and the ramp you're seeing obviously. How should we think about the mix between interest bearing or pay now or paying for on more of a medium term basis for for that product?
2: That's a great question. Um, So for the moment, I am personally a little bit omnivorous in the sense that we are not quite done improving the frequency. So my goal, or the company's goal, the team's goal anyway, is to make Affirm card the top-of-wallet purchasing device, which means that whatever your percentage of paying out transactions is, I won them all, and whatever it is you might put on your credit card, I want you to put on the debit plus slash Affirm card. And so for the moment that it's at 42% pay now or something like that, and the rest is both interest-bearing and non-interest-bearing, the really cool footnote in the non-pay now part of this is that we are in control of which one you choose. We are the ones presenting a modified version of adaptive checkout both before and after the swipe wherever you decide to go in terms of borrowing. And so we have a lot of control over... Where you're seeing zeros and we're not seeing zeros, and it depends very much on the merchant contracts and promotional activities we have with them. But in terms of the target, pay now versus not, we'll start reporting on those once we get to a certain level of scale. But at the moment, more of each kind is better. And
7: the other thing I'd, I'd just to yep. be really clear, just to be really clear, the 42% stat, and, and we break it out um, in our shareholder letter. That's on a transaction basis. We would continue to expect the AOVs of pay now to be substantially lower than the interest bearing um transactions, which means on a GMV basis the mix would be much lower um, in terms of percentages of pay now.
8: Oh, okay. Great. Thanks for that, Michael, and, and great color there, Max. Appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Eugene uh, Samuni with Moffitt Nathanson. Please proceed with your question.
9: Thank you very much. Um, hi, guys. wanted to ask about GMV growth. Uh, looks like it came in better than expected this quarter at 25% year over year, so would be very helpful to hear what, what are some of the factors that helped it grow faster, whether it's macro or kind of firm-specific, and then, as a follow up to that, would love to hear a bit on how you thought about your GMV guide for next year, because I realize that twenty four billion is the floor, but that floor, if I'm doing the math correctly, implies a deceleration from that level. So why uh, why would uh you know you not be able to achieve um, your, the, the growth rate that you achieved this quarter with GMV next year?
7: Yeah, so in terms of the, the fourth quarter, we saw um lot of traction in our travel and ticketing business. You saw um, the consumer out uh, participating in the economy in, in those sort of event-driven, experiential-driven um, spending patterns, and, and because of our breadth of distribution there, we were real beneficiaries of that this quarter. We, we also have done a lot of work to continue to um, optimize the checkout experience so that we can increase both uptake and our ability to capture volume on those channels and others. And we continue to ramp our largest enterprise platform partnerships as well. Those were big growers for us this quarter, and and many of them were even accelerating their growth. Um, So being uh, positioned correctly and distributed correctly at the right uh, parts of the economy, I think, definitely benefited us a lot, as well as work we've done on our side in terms of product. Uh, In terms of forward-looking into the year, I think There's there's, there's clearly a lot of optimism internally for for where we're taking the business and the things that we're working on, and we're just mindful of of the economic volatility that continues to to persist. And so we're starting the year off with a a thoughtful approach here and making sure we don't um, sign up for more than we know we will deliver. Um, I think the deceleration point, I think that we would expect there to be, um, as we continue to scale some of our largest platforms, slightly lower growth rate as we do achieve something that looks more like a normalized distribution or penetration on those largest platforms. Um, and yet, on the other side, we, we, we do have a lot of upside in our direct-to-consumer business, and how those two factors play out is something that will keep you in the loop on throughout the course of this fiscal year.
9: Got it. Okay, that's very helpful. And then if I can squeeze in just just one more uh, on, um, on, on related to uncertainty and the economic environment next year. Um, I don't know if I missed it, but uh, what is your assumption about unemployment rate for next year, just because it's such an important driver of credit, as as you often point out?
4: Um, We,
2: more than anything, benefit from the fact that our terms are short and controllable by us, and we price and underwrite every transaction individually. I think if we were in the business of issuing lines, we would have to have an internal economic bureau trying to predict what unemployment looks like six quarters from now, because the lines we would have granted today would still be getting utilized or repaid then. And instead, we have the benefit of saying, we don't like the latest unemployment print, and therefore we're going to change our credit posture. The way we achieve the results that we are bragging about today in credit has nothing to do with our ability to see the future. We never knew what unemployment would be. We never knew it would be better or worse. Like That's just not how this business works. We have the controls to react to literally daily outcomes of our credit monitoring, and whatever the future brings, we will adjust to that future. So our assumptions are we will continue diligence, being, being diligent. We're con- going to continue meeting every Monday morning as the entire executive team looks at all the credit results and asks the question, is everything great or do we need to do something? So I've, I don't have a, I don't have a, a promise or a, or, or, or a pronostication on unemployment, but I can assure you that whatever the number will be, we'll be ready for it.
9: Got it. Okay. Thank you, guys.
4: Our next question comes from the line of Dan Perlin
0: with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question.
7: Thanks. I, I had a question on the um, on the Affirm card, Max. In the description here, you're talking about, you know, how it works. And I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. And the question really is around early readings and what you're seeing in terms of engagement and frequency of news. So on one hand, you talk about consumers can uh, request a payment plan in the app before checking out. And then you say or link to the bank account to pay with the Affirm card, you know, and then have a post-decision kind of post-swipe, post-tap. So when we think about those two types of consumer experiences, what's the early – I would imagine linking it to the bank account creates more of a habitual frequency, but um, I'd be interested to know what you're seeing early stage and is there a way to, I guess, I don't know, incentivize a consumer to go in one of those directions that would be beneficial both to you, but also not detrimental to them. Thanks.
2: I don't know if there's a question in that. That was eloquently put and pretty much accurate. You know, you're, you're, you're on the dot on, on everything you just said. So you're exactly right, the way the product works. And, and I'll, I'll break it down for, like, a couple of minutes just to be super clear for, for, for everybody. So you sign up for the Affirm card. You get one in the mail. You don't have to do very much work at all. If you are an Affirm user, you are eligible to use Affirm card, and it's basically, literally, an Affirm card. You request a loan, and then you swipe the card, or you chip it, and the next transaction becomes that loan. So simple as that. It is absolutely much better for us and for our users if you connect your bank account, because then you can swipe... And if you didn't bother asking for a loan, you can still do it ex post facto. And if you do nothing, it becomes a pay now transaction that settles. And so it's basically this journey from I like a firm, I use a firm, now I can use it in store, nothing new to learn. As soon as you get a card in the mail, it is our job, and this is exactly where I'm spending a, you know, the most recent conversation I had about what we call the first user experience was some time between 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning last night. So what I spend my time on is making sure that that conversion from Affirm card for my well-understood part of the Affirm experience to, oh, I can connect my bank account and get access to all these amazing features. Of course, I want to do that. So that, that, that is where we're spending lots and lots of cycles right now. It's going really well. Um, I don't, don't want to get into exact numbers, but... Where we started and where where we ended is a massive progress, and we're very, very far from done. The economics improve. Our ability to underwrite improves because we get to see your cash flow. Our ability to offer you interesting access to things like 0% loans improves because we understand the economics a little better and just see higher frequency, higher engagement. Therefore, we can make more educated bets around lifetime value over consumer. So everything you said is is, is pretty spot on. Um, Let's see if there's anything else I can, I can share on this topic.
4: The free, both,
2: both the frequency and the amounts and the LTV, like every metric possibly imagined is better once the card becomes fully fledged. We have internal terminology specifically describing the, the sort of unconnected, unconnected state of the card exactly because it's such an important thing. And yes, we can absolutely employ incentives, and uh, we have a lot of good results that show that these, these incentives are not going to be especially expensive at all. That's excellent. Thanks so much for that. I appreciate it. Yep. If, if no one can tell, I'm excited by this product.
0: <laughs> Our next question comes from the line of Brian Keen with Deutsche Bank. Please proceed with your question.
10: Hey guys, Max, you're going to be excited because I'm going to ask you more questions about the Affirm card. So, the Better? the active the active consumer base, I think, spiked in the quarter. I think it's north of 200,000. I remember we had a wait list of about a million or so. I'm just trying to figure out, is there another big change of growth that we expect or kind of the the users will be more modest uh, growth from this from this level? Just trying to figure out how big that wait list is and is there a big rollout to consumers happening as we speak. Um, so for
2: what it's worth, the wait list included everyone that wanted the Affirm card does not The current active base does not necessarily include everyone who wants one because we were very, very careful as we rolled it out in terms of credit standards. In general, while I am gushing here over this amazing product that we finally rolled out and and doing really well with, on the other side of that equation is a super sort of Spartan view of credit. We, We cannot afford to screw that up and so we're not going to. Therefore, launching a brand new product without a very clear understanding of exactly what repayment will look like to everyone who wants it is probably not a good idea, and that's, that's certainly not what we did. But the demand for the card was and is very, very significant. We're not yet pushing it. In fact, there's a healthy internal debate as to the level of insistence we should take with our users. So there's a couple million users that we consider to be sort of fully in on the affirm story they use us online they use us at the point of sale they use the uh, virtual card number which is like at this point you can say it's kind of a diminished affirm card experience and so that group i have pretty high confidence wants the card would love the card we can push fairly hard to get them all on it we have not done that yet just judging by the numbers and we reserve the right to do just so that said, there's plenty of other users that don't understand a firm as well as we want them to, and they're eligible. And some of them are signing up for the card already. And so there's still lots of work to do on first user experience. We know, for example, I think I mentioned it in the last call, but the sort of the learning curve today looks something like this: If you do one transaction, you are not guaranteed to stay with us forever. Once you do two transactions, you're basically in. And after three transactions, you start treating the card as a sort of integral part of your purchasing experience. And so our goal is to both reduce the level of complexity that it takes to get get our users through to understand this, as well as, you know, guide them to that third transaction to just ensure that they fully grasp it. And we'll continue hammering on that. You know, I, I expect a few more releases to go by before we feel very satisfied. And at that point, we can... We can push a gas pedal and start basically telling people this is the only way to use a firm at an unintegrated merchant, the only way to use a firm offline. All of those avenues are still open for a reason. Does that make sense?
10: Yeah, I got it. And so when you talk about this step function change or whatever that is, it's not built into the guidance, obviously. But when it happens, it's a lot of these things that you just talked about you have to feel comfortable with so that you can roll it out in mass and then... And then obviously the the transaction volumes will continue, just trying to figure out exactly when that step function happens, where we go from these small numbers to obviously you think this could be this could be pretty material, so just trying to figure out what what to watch for
2: um, We definitely think this can and will be material one day. I am definitely not telling you or anyone when exactly that'll happen. There's still a lot of work to do. Uh, we are rolling it out. Like at this point, it's available broadly. If you're eligible in your app, you will find an invitation to take out the Affirm card. What I said is that we're not yet saying, like for example, when you tap onto the card tab in the app, if you've used Affirm virtual card number, you can still do so. Like we will tell you, hey, by the way, you're eligible for the Affirm card. Maybe you should grab it. But it's not the same thing as saying, oh, you wanted to get to the Affirm one-time card? Sorry, that's deprecated. You should use Affirm card that will send you in the mail. So those kind of steps haven't been taken yet. But we are ramping up; like you can see it in the numbers, and we, you know, we 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 have a fair number of things we're going to do, uh, both as far as educating the end borrower, you know, to make sure that they understand how this debit card works, and we will definitely take a bunch of aggressive steps to make sure that everybody who's eligible for it understands exactly that they they should come get it.
10: Got it. Super helpful. Thanks so much.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Andrew Jeffrey with Truist Securities. If we'll see with your question.
3: Hi, uh, good afternoon. appreciate you taking the question. Uh, 4Q seemed like a, a really strong quarter from an enterprise customer standpoint. And it, it seems like from what we've seen, perhaps a firm even punched above its weight or, or well above sort of trended uh, tender share uh, on Prime Day. Max, can you just talk about the, your thought process around how much tender share you can ultimately gain, at least in ecom, at your enterprise customers, and, and whether the fourth quarter might be a preview of things to come in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of, of share and, and spend, hence GMV growth.
2: Yes, <laughs> we, we certainly like that. Obviously, uh, we are taking share of mind, share of checkout, share of wallet. So I I feel very good about that. Uh, if you look at more mature BNPL markets, obviously, you know, apples and oranges a little bit, but there are plenty of geos where buy Now pay-later broke into north of 10, some places even north of 20%. In the U.S., online, I think, in aggregate, we're hanging around 5 or 6%. Last I looked, this is, don't, don't quote me on that exactly, but it's that order. If you look at full commerce, both online and offline, it's decidedly sub-1%. So in terms of, you know, 99% more to go, and uh, it'll, it'll probably grow a lot before it slows down. The, you know, it, 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 it's always work. It's, all of this is product work. Like you, you don't get to deliver a brand new way to pay for things without customer education, without the right level of promotion in the funnel. So it, it, it's definitely not a thing that's going to happen overnight. But on the flip side, you're exactly right. Like, we, we, I consider this quarter a preview of things to come. Like we really focused on the right way of bringing the product to the masses, and it paid off.
3: Yeah, that's clear. Um, as, as a follow-on for Michael, can you remind us when you lap the tighter credit box? I mean, I, I know you reserve the right to sort of uh, to to change your underwriting on the fly, but assuming that. You sort of maintain the current level of economic activity. When, when do we see growth perhaps benefit from that?
7: Yeah, the, the timing issues that we took last year started in the uh, early summer and through the, through the early fall, so summertime through, through early fall. So we're kind of in the midst of lapping a lot of those actions. I would say by the time we get to our second quarter is when we have a pretty normalized comparison um, for, the, for the biggest changes. But I do think it's important to reiterate what you said there. We change our credit um, decisions a lot all the time, so it's not a, a decision where we make uh, get together and we decide to tighten or loosen in a pretty broad sweeping way. We're very tactical and surgical with how we go through and optimize where and when we want to take risk. Um, but the specific decisions that we took in response to the consumer stress that we saw, um, we will have lapsed by the time we get through Q2.
4: Okay,
11: appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Rob of uh, WellTech with Autonomous Research. Please proceed with your question.
12: Hi, guys. Uh, I wanted to unpack some of the earlier commentary on the margin. You know, the guidance is for fiscal 24 revenues as a percentage of GMV to be similar to 23. Uh, 24 RLTC is the same as 23. That would imply transaction costs are also similar to 23 as a percentage of GMV. And then within that, I would assume funding costs are going to be higher. So A, is that right? And then B, is there something that's offsetting that on the cost side in terms of keeping overall transaction costs flat as a percentage of volume this year?
7: Yeah, we yes, it's exactly right, and and we do expect funding costs to be higher. Um, but we also have s- some continued changes in the mix of the business, both um, in terms of the largest platforms will continue to take share, which will change the shape of the of the of the, the timing and how we earn it. The balance sheet will also be very different this year to last year, which again will change the shape quite a bit. There's there's a lot of different factors that cause that go into that that assessment, but the top line is right that those things will net out to being largely flat from a, a revenue standpoint and, a, and an RLTC standpoint as a percentage of GMP.
12: Got it. Thanks. Could could you just give some more detail or color on what you mean by the balance sheet is going to be different from this year to next year?
7: Yeah. So, so you saw the loans on the balance sheet um, were obviously higher in Q4 versus the prior year and also up sequentially. Um, We we talked about an an equity-capital-require ratio being higher as well, and and we would expect there to be a lot more dollars sitting on on the balance sheet this year than last year, which just changes the shape of of the earning of of the loans.
4: Okay, thanks.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Reggie Smith with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed
11: with your question.
0: Hey, guys, thanks for taking the question.
11: Um, I've got two, actually. Uh, one, I guess, is a point of clarification. Um, I guess previously you guys talked about uh, sustainable profitability beginning in 2024, and I guess I just wanted to um, to check the language and see if there's been any change to your guidance Um now you're talking about annually profitably, um, and I, I'm curious if that was always the um, the expectation or, or was that a, a minor change?
7: No, yeah, it was always the expectation. We, we talked about sustainable profitability. We were always thoughtful around our second quarter being a time when the timing of GMV within the quarter as well as the sequential build from Q1 to Q2 – always being distortive and so we were, we we're careful to say that that, that may be a, a trough and we reiterated that to, in our letter um, while we, we do expect full year profitability we, we may have a quarter that may fall outside of that clearly you see our Q1 guidance suggests that that won't be in q1 and and, and the full year guidance being where it is suggests I think we're we feel pretty good about that overall but we, we, we won't be disappointed if we have a, a quarter. Uh, of negative
11: adjusted operating income. Got it. Understood. Uh, and if I could squeeze one more follow-up. Um, there's a slide that you guys have in your presentation that shows the merchant discount rate for different products. And, um, and it's hard to notice that um, the rate for your zero interest loans, both short and long-term, hasn't changed materially in the last two years. And I'm curious if um, if that's uh, – like, what's driving that? Is that – is it competitive dynamics? Is it strategic? Uh, is it mix? Um, like, why have you not been able to or, or been unwilling to kind of raise your discount rates there, given what's, happened, what's happening in the interest rate and and the, uh, the funding environment? Thanks.
7: Yeah, it, it's a good question. The, one, one of the things that is an important piece of backdrop as you have a rising rate environment – you've also had a lot of the retail sector having a lot of pressure on their margin structure. And so one of the challenges we've worked through over the past year is finding ways to still serve as many transactions as we can for those retailers without substantial increases in their their MDRs. And so, for example, we've introduced fixed APRs, which have low fixed APR amounts um, that are still subsidized by the, by the merchant, but don't look like the same sort of pure 0%. And so as a result, you don't see by product a substantial increase in in that, even though we've changed the economic offer that ultimately the merchant and consumers are going to see. A- additionally, this view is super helpful to understand actually what the merchants are paying for a product, but it, it isn't a complete view as we're able to think about changing um, down payment or... Of credit approval thresholds, all these things factor into how we think about the total pricing with the merchant. And so, you may not see the results of us um, of us, you know, getting the right value for a firm out of that out of that relationship showing up in the fee that the merchant pays.
2: Understand.
11: And I guess Max had mentioned, you know, some higher gross margin merchants, and and um, I think a previous. Analyst and had asked about you know whether you're seeing an increased interest there. Uh, and, and is the right way to read that that you guys haven't pushed on some of those higher margin merchants that may be a little less price sensitive, or like like what's the takeaway f- from that?
7: Uh, so again, I I think it's we have a we have a market leading product in a very competitive space that's really exciting and a lot of. Um, uh, entrance into the space, I think we're very proud of the fact that we've been able to hold pricing in that competitive environment, macro notwithstanding. I think that we do think about the merchants being very different depending upon their margin structure, their promotional intensity, and all that factors into how we think about what MDRs make sense. Um, But again, I think MDR is only one small part of the total pricing equation, which is takes into account a lot more than, than just the MDR being paid, because it, it obviously needs to take into account the cost of the program as well. And we think about all of these together. We think about the profitability of a, of a particular merchant, not just the MDR that they pay.
0: Thank you. And as a reminder, if anyone has any questions, you may press star 1 on your telephone keypad to join the and answer queue. Our next question comes from the line of Jason uh, Kusperberg with Bank of America. Please proceed with your question. Uh,
12: Great, thanks. Um, I just wanted to start with the guidance on RLTC as a percent of GMV for F24. I know we're saying it's going to be similar. It's hard to be precise in this macro backdrop, but just want to get a sense of, you know, kind of range of outcomes. I mean, are we talking about you know, 10-ish basis points or so on either side of the F23 results or just trying to get a sense of, you know, how, how wide of a range you guys might be envisioning. Like, you think there's a wider range of outcomes in F24 compared to, you know, the way you guided F23, for example? Just wanted to get a little more detail on that. Thanks.
7: Uh, it, good, good question. And um, the first part of your question is exactly right. I think that we're we're not giving a, a precise range because of the uncertainty and, and macroeconomic backdrop. I, I think that you know, if you look at the range that we guided to in Q4, which which we were ahead of, you can get a pretty good sense of the, the fact that we are sitting in a in a period where you're you going to see a quarter quarter variability. What is what is not in doubt in our eyes is continuing to stick within the 3 to 4% long-term framework we've put out there for revenue transaction costs as a percentage of GMV. And what's, what's not in doubt is our ability to pull the right cost and revenue leverage um, to to choose that outcome. When we talked about the full-year guidance as being things that, you know, were within our control, and, and we think this is one where, we're going to be able to to deliver, but we're not going to get more specific than than similar to last year right now.
12: Right, right, right. Okay. So I guess it kind of sounds like you see maybe a fairly similar probability of, you know, being a little better in F24 than being a little worse in F24, because similar could obviously mean in either direction. Is that kind of how it feels?
7: Yeah, that's exactly right. We're we're we feel like in this rate environment, what the results that we delivered in twenty three are representative of the results that we would like to deliver. Um, that being said, of course, any given quarter can move around um, a non a non trivial amount, but nonetheless, feel like similar to twenty three is a good a good place to model the business.
12: Yeah, for sure. Um, just a quick one on a firm card. I saw one hundred and thirty million of GMB in Q four. What are you assuming in the Q1 and the full-year guidance for the Affirm Card GMV, and, and will you disclose the Affirm Card volumes each quarter uh, going forward as you did this past quarter?
7: Yeah, we, we, we do intend to to share the Affirm Card GMV every quarter. We may not share all the same stats that like we did this quarter as we get going, but we do think it's important to communicate the, the total volume there. We're not going to give um, super precise numbers with respect to the affirm card guidance for the year, but what we'll say is there's a couple of points of growth that we think the card will drive.
12: That's all. thank you, Michael.
4: Our next question comes from the line of John
0: Hecht with Jeffries. Please proceed with your question.
1: Afternoon, guys. Thanks thanks very much for taking my questions I, I get it's more tied to balance sheet stuff and marketplace stuff. i mean the your interest income as a percentage of total revenues has moved up as you've increased your balance sheet. You know so maybe some commentary on uh, on you know should that trend persist or should we see a leveling out of the contribution of interest income? What kind of leverage are you guys comfortable with on the balance sheet? And then, you know, final tie to that is how is the marketplace developing, and when do you think you'll start, you know, being more active in, in, in selling loans to third parties?
7: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of drivers that are driving the interest income up. One is, as you pointed out, the loans held for investment is higher. Um, the second is the mix of business, where we do have some of our largest enterprise partners scaling mostly with interest-bearing programs, and so the product mix has shifted. Um, and then lastly, we've, we've taken on some efforts to raise um, APRs, and all of those taken together has resulted in more um, interest income. Um, what's Im- important from our perspective is the, the, the ability to do that um, at the point of sale and to do that in a way that doesn't impact conversion really reflects our true technology leadership um, in a way that I think is, is um, pretty difficult for other people to match. With respect to the forward flow program or selling whole loans, um, it, it is definitely the case that the volatility in the macroeconomic conditions definitely changed the, the, the mix of, of business that we were doing with respect to on-balance sheet or off-balance sheet um, loan funding. Uh, that being said, the, the tone and tenor conversations with capital partners today is very constructive. We have uh, really differentiated credit performance. That's something that I think loan um, investors really appreciate about our platform. Um, They they know that we're both attending to it, but also can deliver differentiated results, and we're not afraid to uh, eat our own cooking, as they say. Um, And I think that gives us some cause for being optimistic about um, the longer term here. And yet... We're still in a period of, of pretty high volatility and uncertainty, and so as we think about starting the year off and giving guidance here, we're, we're being pretty thoughtful about not signing up for more than we know we can deliver.
1: Okay. Thanks very much. It's helpful.
0: And our next question comes from the line of uh, Michael and G with Goldman Sachs. if we beautiful see what your question is.
13: Hey, good afternoon. Uh, I just have two. So the first one is just about uh, the strength of your enterprise partnerships uh, amidst uh, BMPL competition. Um, Are are non-exclusive merchants incentivized to offer as many BMPL products as possible, including uh, an in-house product? If not, um, you know, what are some of the reasons that they choose a firm? Um, Is it, you know, the adaptive checkout, the reputation for underwriting and consumer transparency? Um, you know, a desire to have a less cluttered checkout, um, just any thoughts there would be great and then I have a quick follow-up.
2: I You certainly know the, you the parts of the answer really well. Um, in general, I think we've been saying this for a while, there's some slow-moving tendency in the industry towards what we call side-by-side. That said, we are, I think at this point, we can lay claim the best underwriters in the space, and the ones with the best suite of products. There are very few players that can scale long-term zeros, short-term zeros, paying four. We've experimented with other products that are not even sort of widely available just yet, but we're introducing new financing programs all the time. And we also have a whole, what we call powered by a firm, the PBA stack is what our friends at Shopify, for example, use to do a much deeper integration. So the technical skill set, the scalability, the ability to support every imaginable product in the space typically makes us the dominant player in all these enterprise partnerships. There's definitely interest, I think, from everyone. It's still a very competitive space. There's plenty of people asking themselves, well, maybe we need to have an in-house product. I think in practice, if your business is not you know, very similar to a firm's, It's pretty hard to replicate what we do. We've been at it for, uh, you know, nearing 15 years and have done a pretty good job with it. So I think we, we expect to continue dominating certainly that part of the curve. And, you know, enterprises like to partner with serious people that have serious engineering teams that bring strength to those kind of relationships. That That's why we won the original sort of big API deal, if you will, to Shopify, and we, we've sort of gone from strength to strength. So... I don't expect that to change very much. Undoubtedly there will be players popping up alongside us. We don't expect that to dramatically change our results.
13: Great. Thanks, Max. Um, and then the second question was just about a firm card. Um, I, I was surprised to read that the card volumes are delivering at a similar RLTC as a firm overall. Um, and I was also surprised that PayNow is only 10% of volumes. Um, Was that surprising to you at all? Is there anything, um, you know, that you guys are doing that have resulted in interest-bearing being such an outsized volume on the Affirm card for, um, you know, with such a high-frequency kind of -of top-of-wallet product?
4: Surprised, no.
2: Food for thought, for sure. So we designed the card – with a very specific agenda of creating top of wallet experience or you know, habituation is sort of the, the pop psychology term. Firm on average is used basically four times a year and that's great, but that's not nearly enough. You're trying to be a payment network, you have to be there for donuts and coffee and for bicycles and couches. And we've you know more or less conquered the bicycle and couch space and we're trying to take our unfair share of donuts and coffee. And so the pay now volume we expect to grow and we're certainly gonna make it compelling to use us for pay now transactions, not necessarily just donations and coffee, but given sort of items between that and, and the several hundred dollar average that we normally run. You know, I've, without false modesty here, it's going according to plan. I'm quite happy with how it's shaping up. We have a lot of work to do. There's certainly room to create consumer rewards that we have not yet launched, but that that's a big leap towards why would you pick this card from, your, or from, from all the other ones you have in your wallet, and that's coming. Once we get there, let's see what part of the pay now and pay later spend we'll get. Um, one other thought sort of a little bit unrelated. I think it's a little bit dangerous to compare to directly to either debit cards or credit cards when you look at a firm card. It is neither. It really is a new product. There's not quite like anything like this on the market right now. And so in terms of, you know, am I surprised? No, but mostly because we had expectations that it will be successful because we'd seen the
7: demand. And we'll just try to take as much volume as we can. And then just on, on the margin point, um, as we outlined in the letter, we're we're actually not starting from zero with a direct-to-consumer business. We have Um, a virtual card product today that's one of our most profitable products because it is direct-to-consumer and we own the whole experience, and that really does give us a lot of advantages. And of the many things that a firm card does, one of the easiest to understand is it simply takes that experience and turns it into a form factor consumers are super used to and really expands the amount of times you can use the card. You can use it offline. You can use it in a lot more use cases, whether or not you're um, integrated with the firm. And so that part is really unsurprising. We always knew that that part of the business was going to be really successful. I do think that we want to continue to make it used more. But remember, we are still running at 42% of the transactions being pay-now transactions. So we're getting the frequency that we want out of the card, even if the GMV isn't there, because the AOVs are obviously much lower on donuts and coffee than they are on bikes and couches. Great.
13: Thanks, Max. Thanks, Michael.
0: And we have reached the end of the question and answer session. And I'll now turn the call back over to Zane Keller for closing remarks.
1: Thank you, everybody, for joining the call today. And we look forward to speaking with you all next quarter.
0: And this concludes today's conference, and you may disconnect your live at this time. Thank you for your participation.